Welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. You're about to hear a message from Pastor Dennis Vardy called Heaven on Earth, and it speaks about how over and over again throughout the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus introduces parables with these words, the kingdom of heaven is like. So what does the expression kingdom of heaven mean? How is it relevant to our lives today? And what do the parables tell us about living a life relevant to the kingdom of heaven? Find out and enjoy today's message. Well, today I'm wrapping up the series that we've been on, Heaven on Earth, um, I've titled it, Live Like There is a Tomorrow. You, you may be familiar with the expression, you know, like there's no tomorrow, or live like you were dying. Of course, it's kind of a rephrase of, of that particular expression. Or even the concept of, you know, having a bucket list. That, of course, became very popular with the movie Bucket List. And, and it was basically like, have your list of things that you want to do in your life. And man, you don't want to miss out. You want to make sure that you, you know, get to do all these things and do them as quickly as possible, you know, because, you know, one day you're going to pass and that opportunity will be over. So, so you should just have your, you know, list uh, before you kick the bucket. That's where the phrase comes from. Uh, of things that you want to have or, or have accomplished with your life. And um, there, there are many takes on, you know, how a person might want to live and, and what sort of motivation they, they might want to have in life. But in this particular parable, Jesus talks about living a life that is motivated around the kingdom. Matthew chapter 25 and verse 1, here's what he says. Then the kingdom of heaven will be compared to 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the groom. Five of them were foolish and five were prudent. For when the foolish took their lamps, they did not take extra oil with them, but the prudent ones took oil and flasks with their lamps. Now, while the groom was delaying, they all became drowsy and began to sleep. But at midnight, there finally was a shout. And behold, the groom, uh, you know, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins got up, trimmed their lamps, but the foolish virgins said to the prudent ones, Give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. However, the prudent ones answered, no, there most uh, certainly would not be enough for us and you too. Go instead to the merchants and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the groom came and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast and the door was shut. Yet later the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open up for us. But he answered, truly I say to you, I do not know you. Be on the alert then because you do not know the day nor the hour. Now now Jesus here is is using uh, Jewish wedding traditions to illustrate a kingdom principle that he wants us to live by. You know, the groom would have gotten ready and, and then he would go to, to the bride's home and then there'd be this procession of her coming with him back to his home for the wedding feast, et cetera, et cetera. And so he had gone to be able to pick up his bride, bring her for this feast. And Jesus, I don't know if you know the humor of Jesus, uh, but actually there's lots of, lots of things that he says that in their culture would be considered very funny. Okay, um, part of the humor of Jesus was sometimes he would do it through exaggeration. 
And so he would make statements, you know, about, you know, your friend's got a speck in his eye, but you got a log in your own eye, you know? That was very funny. You should have all laughed because that was Jesus's humor. Well, there's humor in this too. You can't miss because at one point in his story about a wedding, he makes this statement. Well, the groom was getting ready, you know? The, the groom was delayed. He says it that way. Well, the groom was... You know the groom was not delayed. The groom is never delayed. I've done lots of weddings. The groom is never delayed. It's always the bride that is delayed. It's never, ever the groom that is delayed. At any rate, Jesus throws a little humor into his story, and then he moves on. The groom is Jesus. The bride is his church. It's the church that's getting ready, not the groom. The illustration is speaking about the return of Jesus and what is called the marriage supper of the Lamb when Jesus returns for his church. And it is the wedding imagery that Jesus is working with regarding Christ's return for his church. So this is what the parable is speaking to. It's bringing to us the attention of the fact that Jesus is coming again. How then should we live? And so there's some observations about this. First one is simply this. It's gonna take longer than you think. It's gonna take longer than you think. Uh, the foolish virgins uh, you know, were at the banquet thinking, oh, this, this procession, this is gonna happen fairly quickly. You know, we've got our lamps to be able to light the way. This is gonna, so the groom is coming soon. Uh, so they didn't bother with bringing the extra oil. They acted with very short-term thinking, like this is all gonna happen soon. And the Bible called them this, foolish. Foolish. Or, you know, another definition for that, by the way, is this, extremely unwise, extremely unwise. You know what? I've seen believers that have this Jesus is coming soon kind of mentality, uh, you know, about life that almost becomes an excuse for why they don't need to overcome things and deal with things in their world because after all, you know, Jesus is coming soon and, 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 and all sorts of things because there are different things mentioned in Scripture about what will happen before Jesus comes regarding you know, the environment, earthquakes and wars and all these different things. And it's like at, at every uprising of any sort, all of a sudden you'll hear them talk about, wow, he's, you know, he's coming soon, he's coming soon. And, and as a matter of fact, I met a Christian this week who told me that. I mean, it's, it's like this thing becomes so popular. And I, I met this lady this week, she's from Haiti. And, and, you know, we get talking about faith. Jesus is coming soon. And I'm glad she was happy about that, but I think her prediction is probably very off. But I've seen people at every crisis, Jesus is coming soon. When we lived in Vancouver and there was the, this talk about the possibility of an earthquake that would, you know, come from California up the coast of Vancouver, Jesus is coming soon. Y2K. Yeah, some of you were born after Y2K. You were spared the nonsense. Jesus is coming soon. There's a new millennium. All the computers are going to crash. You know, pastors buying cans of beans. Uh, to put, this actually happened, by the way. Buying cans of beans to put in their bay. I don't know why, if you're going to have to eat the same thing for a couple of years before the recovery of the world, would you want to eat beans? <laughs> And for what I've learned from the pandemic, you shouldn't have bought beans. Well, you could have bought beans, but you definitely needed to buy toilet paper. Anyway, <laughs> moving right along. Then COVID hits. Jesus is coming soon. Listen, anything happens in Israel, Jesus is coming soon. 
By the way, Jesus is coming for his church, not a chunk of real estate. Just a thought. Figuring out the timing on the return of Jesus is not the mission of the church. The mission of the church is founded on his first coming, not his second. The scriptures tell us that the gospel must be preached to all creation and then will come the end of time. And that's our focus and that is our mission. And if Jesus was to come tomorrow, I hope he catches me sharing my faith with somebody. Not hiding in a corner, reading about when he's gonna come. Number two, second thought. Live like Jesus is coming, but not in your lifetime. You should live like Jesus is coming, but not in your lifetime. The prudent virgins bought extra oil, not just the oil that was in their lamps that they could hold. They were ready for the groom to come at any time of the night. The word prudent meaning wise or with understanding. And Jesus wraps up this parable by saying this, beyond the alert then, because look, you do not know the day nor the hour. You do not know the day nor the hour. Sometimes the motive for always thinking about Jesus coming soon really kind of comes out of a defeated life where it's like the only way out of my problems is I just need Jesus to come. That's gonna be my escape plan from all of the problems in my life. You know, it's like looking to Lotto 649 as a retirement plan. But Jesus's prayer, by the way, wasn't to escape the difficulties of life. John chapter 17 and verse 15, I'm not asking you to take them out of this world, but to keep them away from the evil one. In other words, Jesus's view of you as a believer isn't some weak loser, you know, hiding in a corner from the problems of society. That is not God's view of you. That is not how he sees you. You're not some weak person unable to handle the challenges of life. You're not some loser. You're not some failure. You're, you know, you were created in the image of God. You are a child of God. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And the guy who wrote that had to live through being put in prison and beaten and every other kind of thing. You are filled with the Holy Spirit. You are empowered with courage and confidence. You have faith that can move mountains. Embrace it, declare it. You know, don't be looking for a way out when God has empowered you to go through. If you're in debt, do what it takes to pay it off. You know, if you're struggling in your marriage, go through what it takes to turn that situation around. If you're facing a challenge in your business, do what you need to do to win. You grow in, in information and skills and talk to people and just fight for the, the win that you need there. If you're having issues with your, you know, with children and parenting, you know, go through what you need to learn to do well and win with your kids. Listen, if you're tired of dealing with COVID restrictions and who isn't, here's what you need to understand. Elon Musk has not set up camp on Mars for us to move to. So it seems like we're gonna have to stay on earth and just go through it. Come on. 
But God gives you the strength and the capacity to do that. So how then should we live if we're just going to keep a kingdom thinking about how to manage our lives in light of Christ's promised return? Well, do this. Live like like Jesus is coming for a generation that's not yet born. Live like Jesus is coming for a generation that is not yet born. Jesus gave another parable that kind of complements this one when he talks about a master who puts somebody in charge of everything and then he leaves and, and, and he's coming back, but he's coming back later than what was anticipated. And then the attitude kind of becomes about this person put in charge, like, ah, we can do whatever we want because you know what? The master's coming back, but, but he, he isn't coming, you know, real soon. And, and, and it's a mentality that sort of says, well, you know what? I can, I can just operate with all this grace on my life. Nothing really matters. And what happens is it ends up turning grace into lawlessness And it ends up taking freedom and using freedom for selfishness instead of using it for the purposes of God. And of course, it's kind of like the other side of this, I'm coming back, but I'm gonna be later than you thought. Don't have, you know, it's an exhortation. Don't have an attitude like it doesn't matter, like nothing matters. Because the truth of the matter is even small things matter in life. It, it, It expects God's mercy to kind of like make up for my disobedience. Well, it doesn't really matter. He's coming eventually. You know, God forgives everything. And it's this this abuse, if you will, of grace and, and an understanding of God's grace. God's grace is what empowers you to overcome. God's grace is not, is not like a get-out-of-jail card where you just get to do whatever you want and it doesn't really matter. God's mercy forgives my disobedience, but it doesn't make up for the consequences of my choices. And this certainly isn't the perspective that we're to have. When you think about living like Jesus is coming for a generation that is not yet born, it means that you're living a life that is intentional about leaving a legacy. And I I wanna talk about that. Not just in terms of, of material things, although that can be done and has been done. For years, we've run a legacy fund use that to be able to buy property, buy facilities, uh, continue to grow the church, make advancements and do all those things. And I'll tell you what, thank God throughout this pandemic that we have a facility that we can operate in and that that is here. But the wonderful thing about it is one day, uh, you and I will not be here. I'm gonna throw you into this. I'm not just gonna pick on it on myself. (laughs) One day you and I will not be here, but guess what? Another generation will get to use it and we've left the legacy, and that's a wonderful thing. But there's a spiritual legacy that you get to leave. There's an impact that can come from your life that can literally go down through the generations. And so I want to talk a little bit about that. Be a difference maker for the next generation. Be a difference maker for the next generation. My life is about, your life can be about making a difference by living a life that models walking with God for the next generation. You know, every generation has its battles. Every generation faces challenges to living for Christ. It faces, um, you know, challenges that would want to undermine Christian morals and Christian values. Yet at the same time, every generation can walk with God. 
And every generation can know God and be filled with the Holy Spirit and be spirit-led about how they do life and can pursue godly wisdom. And every generation can be a part of building his kingdom, of, of living a life that seeks first the kingdom of God and lets other things be added to that. A, a life that learns how to fight the fight of faith. Every generation can model the principles of the word of God, uh, you know, and that can take your life to the next level, to living on a higher level than just living under the way that we see the average person living in the world. Now, what can I do then in my life that can model something that will impact generations? What can you do in your life that will model something that will impact generations? I'm gonna give you four different thoughts that will help you with that. Up until now, it's all just introduction. <laughs> First one, number one, is model a life-giving relationship with Jesus, not just the rules of character and morality. Model a life-giving relationship with Jesus. Man, if there's one thing that your kids need to see is they need to see parents that love God, that know God, that seek God, that hear from God, that are following God's will in their life. I know I don't want to have just my kids and grandkids just, if you will, act like Christians. I want them to be Christ followers. You're darn right, that's good. (laughs) Too often, though, churches and families have focused on getting people to act like Christians. Know the rules, you know, follow them. Uh, Here's the do's, here's the don'ts. Um, You know, if if you just stick to it, then that's what Christianity is about. And and this is what Christian character looks like, et cetera, et cetera. And, And we do this and we don't do that because we're Christians. And that's sometimes, I've literally heard people say that. Why do you do this? Well, I'm a Christian, so therefore I do this. And, you know, But to be honest with you, I don't believe that's gonna make it through the generations. In fact, if that's how you think, you're actually more likely to produce rebellious, frustrated people who tried Christianity and it didn't work for them because they couldn't seem to keep the rules. Your standards actually become a hurdle to jump over. Now, I'm not saying don't teach Christian character, you know, godly character to your kids. I'm not saying don't teach manners or that those things don't matter. They do matter. But what is essentially the driving force is a vibrant relationship and fellowship with Jesus that motivates them. You know, the fact that, that they learn to open and read their Bible and hear the Holy Spirit speak to them. The fact that they engage in worship. You know, that's why worship is important, not just in this adult service, but what we're doing as well in the dome, engaging children in worship. That happens over there, just like it happens over here. What's transferable and what is meaningful and and what can be imparted and and passed on that is gonna make a difference are things like having a heart for God. Just having a heart that's like, man, what does God want me to do with my life? You know, having a love for Jesus, having, having a gratitude for salvation, just the fact that God forgives us and accepts us and walks with us through life. Uh, you know, having a 
passion for God's purposes in life. You know, that it's not just about, well, what do you want to do? But it's about, man, what has God created me to do? And, uh, you know, how can I serve him? And how can I best, you know, give back to the, the, to the kingdom? You know, your experiences with following Jesus and, and being able to share that, being able to communicate that, um, you know, with others around you to inspire them to want to have similar experiences as well. The fact that you, you live in joy in your life and you go through things and you, you keep that joy about your life or peace and confidence and, and these things. And that, you know, sometimes Christians can be so serious that, that it, it's, it's like you're sober to a point of boring. You know what I mean? And, and, and it's like, you know, lighten up. Get some joy in your life and, and, and let people see that about you. And, you know, how the Holy Spirit impacts and leads your life and just, you know, discovering gifts and purposes. All of these things, by the way, are, are not a formula. They're not a principle. All of them come out of one thing and one thing only, and that is relationship. They all come out of relationship with Jesus. And so whatever you suppose acting like a Christian is, just set that to the side and focus on relationship. Because if we focus just on getting everybody to act like Christian, here's what happens. You have religion without power. And what I want to live for is impacting generations and the value of a life-giving relationship with Jesus not just fulfilling all the rules and doing everything right. Think about this. Just consider this for a moment. You, you can have somebody who's new to the faith, and um, you know what? They've got tons of character issues. Uh, they may even have lots of moral issues that are going on that have not been changed yet. I mean, they, they just, they're, I mean, they're just, they're, their hair is still wet from the baptism. You know what I'm saying? I mean, they're just fresh as can be but they're totally in love with Jesus because they've experienced his forgiveness in their life and they've got a passion to serve him. We know the rest of the stuff God will take care of over time. But you can have another person who's got it all together in their life. They're always demonstrating great character and holiness and have overcome habits in their world, but they're apathetic. They're complacent. They're judgmental. Uh, they don't bother serving. They never share their faith. There's no passion for the things of God. And, and clearly the focus of a life-giving relationship, you know, while God changes, anything that needs to be changed in our life is the highest value to live for. Second thought, overcome your personal struggles. Overcome your personal struggles. I'm sure that you know people who have it going on all around them, but they're not doing so good on the inside. And it shows, it's not attractive. You can be the most spiritual person, evangelistic, gift of miracles, strong in leadership, great communicator, leader in business, all of these things, etc. But don't lose sight of the importance of winning your personal battles because that's what eventually can define you in the end. And, and the bigger question can become, rather than about all the successes and influence and all the rest of it, is did you win over temptation? Did you get your anger in submission? Uh, did, you, did you live 
with faithfulness and consistency. Uh, did you overcome or were you overcame? You know, this is the stuff that can be the most defining and, and meaningful wins in your Christian life. And, and though these things can be done very privately, they actually become public in terms of what it will do for you as an individual and can define you. Paul talks about the fact that he realizes that amongst all the things that he does, he has these personal battles that he absolutely has to win. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 24, he says, don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I aim not just shadow box. Then he says this, I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. It's a strong statement. Paul's saying, listen, I can do all this ministry. I can start all these churches. I can see all these lives change. But if I don't deal with me, I can literally become disqualified from being used by God. And Paul is sharing his reverence for the fact that, that he, like you and I, faces temptations and opportunities that if he yields to them, it will ruin his spiritual legacy. I can preach to others and then become disqualified myself. It's a sobering statement. Winning your personal battles becomes your public victory, even though nobody may ever know what that personal battle was. It's just the way it works. Winning your personal battles will become your public victory. It's a pillar to your spiritual legacy. What Paul is also reflecting on is the fact that, you know what, he, he could have a, a whole lifetime of representing Jesus and sharing his faith in Christ and then lose the, the potency of his ministry in a moment. A whole lifetime, but in a moment, it's gone. Listen, your life is your message. Your life is your message. Not just your story, not just your words, not just your theology. It's about your life and how you live. Your life is your message. Live like that message needs to carry others around you and into the next generation. Number three, take steps of faith. You want to impact the next generation? Be a person who takes steps of faith. Be so bold as to trust the promises of God and act on them. Oh, that was good. That's how you get your life filled with, with God stories, by the way. Just be so bold as to trust the promises of God and act on them. And God will fill your life with God stories. I'm telling you, it'll happen. Reach out and share your faith with others. Start conversations. Here's one. Live generously with your life. Come on. 
Listen, if you're not tithing, start now. The same Bible that tells you Jesus is going to forgive your sins and give you a place in eternity tells you to be a giver. So start now. If you've dropped off of tithing, start now. If you're watching online and you're not starving, starving, (laughs) not tithing, start now. I put two words together and came up with starving. Start now. Why? Because it's in God's word. What'll happen? You'll have God stories. I got lots of God stories. Why? Because I lived a generous life and continue to. I'm not dying today. We'll continue this in Jesus' name. <laughs> Ties and offerings. Be a giver. Be generous with your life and watch God be generous with you. That's the way this works. Lay hands on the sick and pray for them for their healing. I did that. They didn't get healed. Do it again. Do it again until until you finally, wow, I got a breakthrough on this faith for healing thing. Just don't quit now. It's in God's word. Listen, never change your theology out of your experience. Shape your theology out of the promises of God. Pray bold prayers and write them down so you don't forget that you prayed that prayer because God's gonna answer some bold prayers in your life and you need to be able to go, here's when I wrote down that bold prayer and look what God did. Reach out to help others and see where God shows up. Be that person who is growing your relationship with the Holy Spirit and responding as you feel prompted by him. Listen, you don't get a story without taking a step. That's the way this thing works. You don't get a story without taking a step. Joshua had to step around Jericho. Peter had to step out of a boat. Then he had to step up and speak after, you know, the Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Moses had to step into the Red Sea to cross into a promised land. Paul had to step into a non-Jewish world and minister to them. Abraham had to step out of his home, uh, home place and, uh, with his family and his homeland in order to follow God, and he didn't know where he was going. He's like every other man, no idea where I'm going, but let's get the car going, and we'll eventually get there. But the point is this. All of these people throughout the Scriptures had to take a step. They weren't postured waiting on the Lord, kind of like, well, you know, another prayer meeting, and we'll just wait See what the Lord does. The Lord's already told you what to do. Take a step. Every story of faith and experience of God moving happens in a person's life because they took a step that they felt was a godly direction for them. Your greatest experience of God moving in your life will not come from passive waiting. It's not coming from sitting back and and praying that something will happen without you taking a step. God is waiting for you to take a step and then he shows up. Eventually your life should give God a reason to act. Why? Because I took a step, so God had to act. I opened my mouth, he had to fill it. Come on. I got in a conversation, Holy Spirit had to show up and give me an answer to somebody's question. I got in the training to figure out how to do better. I began to really pray for things to happen. I began to really move into the gift I feel is on my life. Move into some kind of something that you believe you should do and watch God show up. Whatever your next step is, take it. And taking it is the action that moves you towards God moving on your behalf. Number four. 
Fight your battle, finish your course, keep the faith. Fight your battle, finish your course, keep the faith. Live today with tomorrow in mind. It's not about just this moment. It's about the future. In 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 8, he says, Paul says this, I'm, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. And in the future, there is reserved for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. Not only to me, but also to, to all, listen to this, who have loved his appearing. Paul's saying something about himself. He says, I've loved his appearing. I love the fact that he appeared to me. I love the fact that he's coming again. But what I did is I fought my fight. I finished my course. I kept my faith. Stay on course with your faith. Stay the course. Don't, don't lose faith. Keep, keep the faith. You know, we have lots of water baptisms in our church. And we get excited about people's start with God. Here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying this. I'm excited about my staying with God, not just my starting with God. And uh, I just believe that's a word for some people today. Whether you're in this room or whether you're watching online, you might've gotten you know, baptized this year, might've got baptized last year. Maybe you got baptized several years ago. My question is this, are you still on course? Are you staying with God? Are you keeping the faith? Because, you know, it's easy to be full of faith and excited in the moment that you are starting with God and you're getting baptized and it's exciting and it's awesome. But you'll notice that after that, you can't ride on those emotions for the rest of your life. You've got to grow your relationship with God. You've got to make decisions. You've got to fight battles. You've got to deal with temptation. You're going to have things that are going to challenge your faith and you're still going to decide to stay the course anyway. Have you stayed on course? Because that's what matters. We're not just excited about your start with God. We want to be excited about your staying with God. And finishing is a big deal. It really is. And I, I just believe I'm speaking to some people right now that you know that where, you, where you're at and where you should be at, there's a gap. And my challenge with you is get back on course. Remember that there was a moment when you got baptized and you were excited, and you were full of faith and full of expectation. Don't let the enemy rob you of that. Get back on course with your life. Be about staying the course. Not just excited about your start, but excited about the fact that you're gonna stay and you're gonna finish and you're gonna be like Paul says, I kept the faith, I completed what God wanted me to do. I walked the walk. Would you all stand as we take time to pray? Lord, I thank you that we're not living like we're dying. We're not living like, like it's all about us, but we're living like we've got something amazing to pass on to the next generation and for generations to come. Lord, let us live like kingdom builders who are about what it is that we are doing to bring on earth as it is in heaven. Or let us live so that the church will continue to impact 
the world around us because, Lord, that's why you created the church. Church is the hope of the world. The church is God's plan. And there is no secondary plan. In this moment of prayer, I want to pray for people that on two levels, maybe you've never prayed this prayer before and this is a first for you about committing your life to Christ. And maybe even as I talked about living, you know, like a Christian versus actually being a Christ follower, that that spoke to you, that maybe you just look at your Christianity and it's just been a lot of external filling the rules, but, but not a lot of Christ in my heart, Jesus within me, you know, the, that relationship side of it. And I believe that the, the Holy Spirit may have spoken to you, may have spoken to you watching online about that. And I wanna pray with you and give you a chance to respond to that. And, and even just to acknowledge in yourself, it's like, it is not about fulfilling some expectation of morality and character. It is about knowing Jesus and having my heart in the right place. And I wanna lead you in that prayer. Maybe you're that person who says, yeah, I had this great start. I remember when I got baptized, how excited I was. But where you're at today isn't still on course, but you can, you can get there right now. You can adjust it. You can make a decision that says, God, I'm not gonna get distracted. I'm not gonna get off course. I'm gonna keep the faith. So with our heads bowed, I wanna, I wanna pray with, with you. If that... If that speaks to you, what I just talked about there, just in this room with their heads bowed, you just give me a wave. If it's like, yeah, that's, that's where my heart's at. That's, that speaks to me about what needs to change in my world. Thank you. So we're gonna pray together with those who've responded. We're gonna pray together with you online as well. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you've called me into a relationship with you and into a walk with you. You died for me so I could be forgiven and come into your family. Lord, I thank you that I can confess today Jesus is my Lord and Savior. And I intend from this day forward to live on course, to keep the faith and finish my race. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's give Jesus a hand. Thanks for listening to this week's message from our series, Heaven on Earth. If you're wanting to know more about Celebration Church or you would like to partner with us financially, visit our website at celebrationedmonton.com and follow us on our Instagram and Facebook at Celebration EDM. Come back next week to hear another great message.